0: would you pray with me? Father, whether because of my words or in spite of them, may your word be spoken this morning. And whether we come with willing ears or stubborn ones, help us to hear. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. In his memoir, Surprised by Joy, C.S. Lewis, recounts several encounters that he had after becoming a professor at Oxford University that led to his conversion from atheism to Christianity. One of those encounters was a conversation between three people. Lewis himself, his friend, the professor Owen Barfield, and a student of Lewis's named Bede Griffiths, who would go on to become one of the great missionaries in the history of India. Lewis tells this story He says, once, when I and Barfield and Beads were lunching in my room, I happened to refer to philosophy as a subject that we taught. Barfield interrupted. It wasn't a subject or a philosophy to Plato. It was a way. I saw the quiet but fervent agreement of of Bede Griffiths as well. I saw the quick glance of understanding between these two that revealed to me my own frivolity. Enough had been thought, I realized. Enough had been said and felt and imagined. It was about time that something should be done. There is a world of difference in knowing a subject and following a way. And that's the conviction that we have tried to impress upon you in every sermon through this series that we have talked about this month as we have talked about what it means to follow the way. We've made the case every way that we possibly can. We've read the words that came from the very mouth of Jesus when he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And we've walked carefully through the book of Acts to show that before we were called Christians, we were known as the followers of the way. We've pointed to an ancient image of prayer called the labyrinth, so you could have a visual aid to help you imagine what God has done in all the switchbacks and through all the traveling companions that you meet along the way. And we said that the basic steps of this journey we take together are prayer and presence, and gifts, and service, and witness. And we've tried to break these down in such a way that you can take a new step in at least one of them. And through all of this, we've said that this understanding of the way is at the heart of our long-standing mission as a church. Dauphin Way exists to make disciples who make a difference. And we've said over and over, a disciple is just another word for a follower. We are here to follow the way. It was 300 years ago that a preacher named John Wesley began to preach about what he called the scripture way of salvation. But maybe this language and this imagery and this picture of our, still, our salvation still feel new to you. Maybe you've spent your whole life thinking about salvation as a moment that's somewhere in the past or something that you hope for in the future. It might be strange to you to hear us saying that our salvation is an ongoing process, a continual work of God through Jesus Christ. And even now, on our fifth Sunday in a row, this might still be a new way of talking about salvation for you, but I hope that we have at least convinced you that we didn't make it up. But we do run a risk. When we talk about salvation this way. When we talk about our relationship with Jesus Christ in this way. If I'm not careful as a pastor, I might make you think you've got something to prove. I might make it sound as if these steps along the way are something that you have to do in your own power. You might think I am saying that holiness and faith and salvation come to those who pay their dues. You might think you are earning your place in God's kingdom or making your own way into the heart of God. Jesus once told the Pharisees, you will cross a continent and an ocean just to make a convert and when you've done so, you make them twice the child of hell that you were before. And I would be that Pharisee if I spent Sunday after Sunday inviting you to follow Jesus only to make you feel as though you've got a lot of catching up to do before you ever get to know him. Today, from the Gospel of Matthew, we hear Jesus' last command and his last promise to the first disciples. And Jesus commands them to go, hit the road, get going. Take the next step. And keep going until you've made disciples of every nation. But when Jesus gives this command, he also gives... A promise. He does not promise to meet them after they obey. Jesus does not tell them, I've got some errands to run. I'll catch up with you in Caesarea. Make sure you make good time. We'll get lunch when you've caught up. No. Jesus promises the disciples that he will be right beside them every step of the way. Surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. In a few moments, we'll ask you to make a promise to God. We'll invite you to take some new step in the way of discipleship. And if you are taking that way in some sort of desperate desire to prove yourself or to prove that you belong, then for your own sake, I would rather you just sat where you are and waited instead of coming forward when we make our pledges. Because you don't have to pay a toll to enter into salvation. Jesus has already paid every price. You don't have to chase down God. He's already found you. He's with you. He's already with you. It was God who first planted in your mind the idea that there might be a better way. It was God who gave you the power to turn and go in a new direction God has given you the power to take every step along the way. And God has shared his power with you by walking every step of it with you. It was Jesus Christ who was grabbing your arm or cheering you on and saying, you can do this. Every step you take is a testament to his power in you. And we have a word for that power. We call it grace. Grace is the power of God freely given to make us what we could not make ourselves. And the heart of the story of your salvation is not about what you do for God. It's about what God has done for you. And that's why when we map our core promises as a church to the ancient sign of the labyrinth, our prayers, our presence, our gifts, and our service, we put witness at the heart of it all. Because in the end, anything that we do for God is just another way of giving glory for all that God has done for us. I once heard the theologian Marva Dawn tell the story that had been passed down in her family about the life and death of her grandmother, a German immigrant to America and a devoted Lutheran churchwoman. As she lay on her deathbed, With family attending her, Martha Dawn's grandmother began to sing. She sang an old remembered song from the old German hymnal. And when she got to the end of that one, it reminded her of another. And she began to sing. She kept it up for hours. Song after song, each one reminding her of another and every single one sung to the glory of God. And then after hours, she stopped and said, that's all I know. And she died. And isn't that a witness? It's not the kind of witness that can be made in a moment. It's the kind of witness that comes from what Eugene Peterson calls a long obedience in the same direction. It's the kind of witness that comes from having spent a lifetime in the company of Jesus, following him step by step all the way home. It is not the kind of witness that gets to the top of the mountain and shouts, I deserved this. I earned this. It's the kind of witness that turns to Jesus. Says, thank you. Thank you for bringing me all this way. Thank you for coming to get me. The 20th century saint Dorothy Day said in her autobiography, The Long Loneliness, that, quote, we must live this life now for death changes nothing. If we do not learn to enjoy God now, we never will. And if we do not learn to praise and thank him now and rejoice in him now, we never will. And then she added, let us remember St. Catherine of Siena who said, All the way to heaven is heaven, because Jesus has said, I am the way. All the way to heaven is heaven, because Jesus is the way. I hope you won't make a promise today, because you're trying to earn someone's favor not mine, not the person behind you in the pew. Certainly hope you won't make a promise to try and earn God's favor. And please don't misunderstand. If I could guilt you, I totally would. Guilt works. Guilt is powerful. But guilt is not the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus Christ has paid every debt forgiven every sin, canceled the power of guilt in your life. And if you are in Christ, then the word God speaks over you today is the word he spoke over Jesus at his baptism. This is my child in whom I am well pleased. You don't have to make a promise to earn God's attention. God has never looked away from you. And your promise today won't earn you a place in heaven but it will teach you to enjoy it. Your promise is your chance to say, this is what God has done for me. God has promised to meet me in prayer, so I'm going to go there. God has given me traveling companions who want to worship and talk and grow with me. So I'll meet him there. God has been so generous to me that I have enough to share. So I will. The world says that time is scarce and precious. But God has given me eternity. So I don't have to hoard my time for myself. I have the outrageous luxury of spending it in service to others. And every time you tell that story, every time you bear witness you are on the way to heaven you are learning what it means to live as if god's will is done on earth just as it is in heaven because what is heaven except the place where we tell of the goodness of god the place where we sing the praises of god It is the place where we find all of our joy just from being in the presence of Jesus Christ. And that can begin right now. On your commitment card today, there's a section that you may be tempted to skip over. But I hope you won't. It's the section on witness where we don't ask you to take any new steps. We don't ask you to make any new commitment. Instead, we simply ask that you share what God has been up to in your life. Because we want to know every moment that you have encountered God's grace. It's grace that saves us. As the book of Ephesians says, it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And we know that grace saves us in three ways. It calls us to repentance. It gives us a blessed assurance that we can trust in God. And it makes us more and more holy until the day when everything we do is done in perfect love. Or to put it another way, grace turns us around. Grace forgives us. And grace fills us with love. Grace is God's abundant gift that does for us what we could never do for ourselves. I want you to know where I've seen grace in my life this year. Grace turned me around and set me in a new direction. I shared it in our vision video. I shared it in the contemporary service last week. After two years of paying off debts and seeing roofs fixed over our heads and soaring through all sorts of logistical challenges, after a year and a half of unsocial distance, I am excited to answer the call, getting out of my office, spending more time in conversations about what God is doing in our lives and also what God is doing in this community around us. Grace has set me in a new direction, and grace has given me a blessed assurance. I feel that assurance most in those moments. It's happened at least five times this year when I take a call from one of our passionate and talented volunteer leaders. Over and over, just at the moment I realize that some ministry is going to demand more than I can give, than I have in and of myself. God has called me in the voice of someone who stepped up and said, here's what I see and here's what I can do. And each of those calls was an answer to prayer, an assurance that God was bigger than anything I can do. You want to know assurance. You want to know that you are a part of something bigger than yourself. I had that assurance just a moment ago. In the briefest of conversations with Jennifer as she shared the stories that came out of Sunday school in our family. You want to know that something bigger is happening than anything I can do? Our children have been talking about their commitments and their walk with Christ and when asked what Sunday school was this morning this is what my son heard not from me but from those who poured themselves out. I learned that when God is trying to meet the needs of the world he uses us because we all have gifts. And we all have different gifts. And that's awesome because it means my gifts are special. And we can work together. Because other people have awesome gifts that I don't. That happened this morning! (laughs) By the pure grace of God. And God has filled my heart with love. Can I tell you what I've come to love? Come to love the chatter. Chatter in the margins of our time together. I I haven't always been this way. I like it when things start on time. I like it when the worship is paying attention at the moment it's supposed to. I like it when we stay on time, even though I am often the chief offender for going over. But now if my Sunday school conversation runs a little long, Now if the conversation takes just a moment longer to settle down before we're all paying attention in worship, I find I really don't mind. We went too long without that chatter, didn't we? I'll never take it for granted again. The beginning of this month, We launched our confirmation at a dinner for all our confirmands and all their families and all their mentors. And the best part of the whole thing was when I was done giving instructions and I got to just stand and hear the low hum of conversation in McGowan Hall and Moore Hall. I saw disciples mentoring one another. I saw families speaking to one another. All of them on the same journey. And yesterday, I got to be in the pumpkin patch. And hear that same low hum of chatter, except this time it wasn't just the people of this church, it was the community filling that spot and people lingering for the sheer joy of presence, of being around others, of celebrating the season. And I promise you that out of the scores of people we saw yesterday, most of them don't have a church home. And as I sat there listening I felt my heart swelling with that vision of what a difference it would make if every one of them that came through yesterday knew that this was a place they could find God's grace. There has never been a season in my life when I was more aware that only the grace of God would get me through. And wouldn't you know it, here we are. Still going. Still following. If you're worshiping God today, if you're here, if you're at home, tuning in and joining, if you are worshiping God today, it is by the grace of God. You have been saved. And you're being saved. And by God's grace you will be saved. And every time you trust Him a little bit more, every time you take another step in faith, every time you put Him first in your time and your talents and your treasure, you're making a little bit more room for that grace, a little more room for God to do what only God could do, what you could never do for yourself. And when someone asks you what you know about God, you'll say, I don't know much at all about God, but I know God because he's not a subject. He's the way and the truth and the life. And every time we answer his invitation, every time he says, follow me, and we say yes, we are placing our trust in the only thing we need to know, that if we will follow, he will go with us. To the end of the age. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.